What's up, y'all? Welcome to Chats at Charlie's, where four future educators, myself, Kelly, John, and Charlie himself, hash it up and talk about what we're learning in class. This week, we're covering the topic of engagement. We talk about the ways that we were engaged as students and how we hope to engage our future students as well. Earlier this week, each of us had an opportunity to practice a lesson on a group of students, our peers, and teachers. John jumps in with the story from that experience. In our micro teaching group, there were there were two teachers from Edina who walked in, in the middle of my lesson, and we were so you know we can talk about how that went, which was fine. They were great, um, but afterwards we were talking to them about the elective structure at Edina, and it is crazy. I mean, these kids have philosophy electives for sure stood out to me. Obviously, sociology they have mm-hmm. um, like I don't know criminology or something like something like that they have just like every possible humanities social studies elective that you could think of these high school students have access to it was wild to me having this conversation in this beautifully air-conditioned yeah it uh, looks like a community college yeah it really felt like it to me yeah yeah it's interesting too i wonder how many of those students like take those classes and they decide to go to college for those because like I didn't even really yeah. know what sociology was mm-hmm. until I was at college and had to take a class and I was like oh this is what I want to major in but if you don't ever get to like sample mm-hmm. the class totally. it's really hard to just know mm-hmm. that's what you want to do I just feel like so much of the back half of high school should be sampling yeah like the students should get to be trying all of that stuff out mm-hmm. absolutely yeah I've been thinking about the paradox of what happens if you're a student who's not performing well on standardized tests and how then you typically get blocked into like college prep programs or, or other yeah. things. Not that those are bad programs, but more of your time is taken up trying to get you to a level of mastery on like mm-hmm. math and reading, mm-hmm. which then means that like students who would probably really value and benefit from sociology don't get it. I've just been mm-hmm. thinking about yes. what happens when the people who are in an introductory social clash are, are white kids. Mm-hmm. Because they're hitting a level of stuff, and then I don't know. I'd, no, absolutely. I don't have anything smart to say about that, but I've just been thinking about like. Even the, the like, high school I was in, it was like they would funnel the students who like didn't cut it to life skills stuff, which in theory sounds great. But there are a lot of students who end up in classes that like one they don't want to take and um, aren't actually like challenging them or like there's no higher order thinking because they literally just want to teach them how to like balance the checkbook yes and these kids also don't give a fuck and they don't own a checkbook so it's like mm-hmm. how is this really great for them and we mm-hmm. we like gatekeep them out of classes that could be really meaningful to them and yeah. shift like their learning experience you know like yeah. once i took my first sociology class i felt completely different about school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well i think it reinforces too if you're like in a social class with students who are quote high performing unquote it's the phenomenon of like you're studying other people rather than you're like in a space of people who have all these identities and you're like learning from one another like that was my experience in a social class was like Mm -hmm. we were talking about people who weren't in the room Mm -hmm. and so it was sort of like this weird like Uh, academic voyeurism mm -hmm. of like studying other people yeah Yeah. for real Mm -hmm. I before we started the 
uh, podcast, we were talking about what our resistance looked like in school. Good pivot. And John Rogan. (laughs) John Jogan. John Jogan. Now it's a teacher move. I I actually am okay with editing, so I can do some editing on this. Okay. Yeah. So I was not a very resistant student, but I also was not motivated to be a high achieving student. I had a floor that I got uncomfortable about dropping below, but beyond that, I did not really strive to be a great student in any sense until I took my first philosophy class in college because Mm. I was like, oh, these questions, these I care about. You know, like I, I came from a very religious background as a kid and had a pretty like strong break with that around when I started college because of some other life experiences. And when I got to a college class that was actually asking questions about that experience, I all of a sudden I was ready. <laughs> just for the coffee. So loud, we sorry. can edit that out. That's some nice um, ASMR. So, yeah, I think it's, like, the to gatekeep students from that kind of elective material that might be, like, more activating for them academically because they're not succeeding is is actually the inverse of what we should be doing. What we should actually be doing is bringing students, as much as we're able, into contact with subject matter that will activate them. And, and often, you know, I mean, certainly for me, it didn't happen until college. And I imagine some students actually just never experienced that in school because they're, um, you know, being told that they need a master algebra first or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, math. This is what I'm talking about with John mm-hmm. making the point so much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> like, succinctly. Yeah. I actually, we've been talking a lot about, like, high expectations I think Jayhan pointed that out. It's like really important to have high expectations for students. And since this, these couple of chapters are about resistance, the book is about resistance. I wonder how much of that is manufactured simply because students recognize that there aren't expectations for them because teachers don't care mm. enough to like set those high expectations. Mm-hmm. So they just resist because they know um, they're not coming from a genuine place to like ask those things of students. So they're just like, why would I do this? You're not even engaging me. Like, you don't even believe in me. Like, you know, you're not setting those bars for me. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, this chapter talked about, like, temp- chapter five talked about temporary resistance. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how often we just see that and then we just drop the bar because we think that that student will always mm-hmm. just barely step over the bar, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you're talking about that too with, like, philosophy. It's mm-hmm. like, there's a high expectation and you're engaging in, pretty high level thinking mm-hmm. and when someone finally like did that for you in a classroom you're like oh now I'm engaged yeah I think there's a connection between that and like what you were talking about Kelly about the fight or flight response but then I mean it was like missing the freeze part but that actually a student resisting is demonstrating an interest in the content more than a student who's like passively That's taking notes point. and mm-hmm. you know both are something to intervene in, but you're actually getting more, like, grist mm-hmm. from a student who's resisting you than the one who's just, like, passively taking notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Note-taking. That, re- that was a resistance for me. I still don't take notes. 
I never have in classes. It's just always been incredibly difficult for me to like take really good notes and like feel like there's like that's meaningful work for me. And that's not knocking on people who take notes. It's just like I always felt I resisted that so hard when teachers tried to get us to take notes. Yeah, what kind of student were you, Charlie? <laughs> resisted in that way. Um, I feel like I really wanted to get A's but this was programmed into me from a very young age because basically my adopted grandma who I was very close with would give me five dollars for every A I got damn but then she stopped that after a while I don't know why because of inflation it was like eventually nothing like, she'd be like, no money. <laughs> like 40 bucks a semester for A's come on <laughs> uh, I think there's just like always an expectation of me um I think I was resistant in the way teachers want us to go about getting good grades but I was always motivated to get good grades because I knew like I could be rewarded if I did so mm-hmm. so I was resistant to note-taking I was resistant to like a lot of the ways that they were telling me I could get good grades and then I would always do like something else to try to get good grades like I would I mean cheat when I could and get away with it but I would also just like figure out ways to find the answers in other ways than just actually answering the question. Mm-hmm. Um, like, never note-take. I never make Quizlets. Mm-hmm. That. So I feel like I was resistant to, like, the typical methods of doing so. And then I feel like I was resistant in ways that were actually productive to my education, similar to John when I was in college and I started taking classes that were critical socially because I was actually getting something out of those. Um, but up until then, I think my... My education was separate, I feel like, than the way that I viewed the world, because that's how they were also presented to me. Like, school is not a place where you go to figure out who you are and learn about the world and how you feel about the world and how you imagine the world should be, but it was literally just, like, proving my ability as a student so that people would allot me opportunities Mm. down the road, whether that's, like, getting into a good college Getting into a school to play sports or, like, going to the Air Force Academy. Um, yeah, it's wild how early the idea of, like, getting a job is instilled and reinforced in yeah. school and education. I have yeah. to think about that a lot in this program. Because I feel like people told me when I was young, like, if you don't get good grades, you're fucked. Yeah. Like, if you don't get mm-hmm. good grades, your life, like, you, you won't have any opportunities. No one will give you any chances. Um, and I, like, really internalized that. Were you guys in ability group schools? yes and no we didn't really have the infrastructure to do it but like yeah, it was pretty school. interpersonal yeah for the podcast I went to a very very small school like 20 students um, but like my superintendent met with me personally to tell me that I could just take a class online over the summer so that I could skip ahead in science and skip ahead in math if I wanted so it was very much like an individualized hmm on your own terms mm-hmm. if they trusted you with it. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, this is the funny thing about me being a bad student, I never took them in the summer. I failed both of them, and I had to pay $200 out of pocket for, like, how, what the school had to pay, because, like, I didn't touch the classes all summer, and then I had to take, uh, my senior year, I had to take sophomore English with the sophomores, because I never took the never class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Battle on student resistance. Kelly, yeah. Um, yeah. So I 
I guess I'll start by talking about my school. Um, so I guess it was ability grouped. Um, my school also didn't have a ton of resources. So I think I took like four or five AP classes throughout high school. We didn't have like the full on AP curriculum that a lot of schools do. And I think they probably have more classes now. Um, I was also a kid who, so I graduated third in my class and I, my school was like 1600 people. Um, but I was also, <laughs> sorry, not, not to be, that's not meant to be like good. a humble prank at all. Uh, um, but the reason why I say that is, is so funny. I, also, I also was the kid who a teacher would tell us in the class, like, only 10% of you will get an A. And I would hear that and say, oh, okay, so I'm not getting an A. Like, I was just, like, I've always been the kid who, like, didn't have, like, confidence in my abilities. And I always kind of... And then you proceeded to get an A. And then I proceeded to get an A. <laughs> Whoa. But, yeah, it was this, like, weird disconnect of, like feeling like like hearing that and saying like okay that's not me but then also like that but then like all evidence of the contrary like did not convince me otherwise so that was weird um and I feel like so what we read last week in class really resonated with me where there was this student I think her name was safe sally and she worked really hard um and paid like excessive attention to detail um and when she did well because of how hard she worked she attributed it not to ability but to how hard she worked Mm -hmm. and that was me like I would just say like the only reason that I do well in school is because I do my homework which was true like I never like didn't do my homework so in terms of resistance like I was the least resistant (laughs) kid there was and I think part of that did have to do with the fact that my parents worked at the high school that I went to um so I kind of felt like there was this like reputation that I had to live up to Mm -hmm. um but I think I was also just like kind of naturally predisposed to be a kid who followed the rules and Mm -hmm. kept my head down and just like did what I had to do Um, I didn't necessarily like school, especially in, like, middle school or high school, but I just, like, did the work, kind of had that that same attitude of, like, I'm just going to, like, do well. I don't like it here, (laughs) but I'm going to, like, get the work done, get the grades, go to college, and then, like, live my life the way I want to. Mm -hmm. So, and then I, yeah, I did have some, like, I think college, definitely I, I chilled out a lot. Sometimes I actually say that, like, college, I think I worked... I worked a lot less hard in college, but, like, still did about the same academically. So I, like, learned that I didn't have to follow every single rule to actually succeed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was me. I think it's really cool you were so high in terms of your class ranking, but still believed that effort was how you got there. Like, it sounds like there was some complex relationship yeah. to that, for mm-hmm. sure, but... It sounds like you're brilliant. I'm yeah. not brilliant. I'm not brilliant. <laughs> no, but I think it's no, like... No, no, no. I mean that genuinely is like a compliment. Because no. I think there yeah. is like a tendency to like Yes, Charlie's going to make like, this point so well. Oh, I, I worked really hard and that's how I got it. Mm-hmm. Instead of like, I don't know, you're almost taught to not accept that and like own that yeah. as a student. No, I think that's really good. And like, I don't know, I just... I think that's cool that you weren't just like, I'm inherently smarter than everyone else. 
<laughs> and I never, like, I still don't feel that way. Like, but I, I don't think, like, yeah, I have also just a lot of, like, feelings about, like, the way that we yeah. talk about intelligence. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, but Maybe this was your experience, too, in high school, because you also went to, like, a small, large school, yeah. comparatively. Um, but I feel like it was also very gendered. Like, one of my best friends, she worked in credit, like, she, quote, worked incredibly hard to get good grades, but people never, like, talked about her the same way they talked about me, because I was just, like, the nonchalant, like, quote, smart kid, and she, like, never got credit, even though she was, like, very, very smart and excellent student, and actually she's going to be a, she's in PA school, like. That's such a good point. But it does feel, like, incredibly gendered, because also girls are supposed to, like, take notes, they make the flashcards, they have a bunch Mm -hmm. of highlighters, and boys show up with, like, fucking I wrote on a legal pad with like a number two pencil and like just wrote doodles um but like the, we can't like that is being smart and mm-hmm. the way my friend Haley approached school was like oh she's just like a goody two-shoes hard worker yep which is like really unfair totally yeah and like that whether or not like like I'm sure you were working hard too yeah. but like the perception was that you were working less hard so because of that you were smarter yeah like exactly you mm-hmm. your yeah. like intelligence made up for the yeah absolutely. yeah that's mm-hmm. interesting and those perceptions play out like like if that's what your teachers think <laughs> there's they're going to have uh, a bias when they grade your homework mm-hmm. you know like they're going to approach you very very differently mm-hmm. I yeah no that's such a that's such a good point like the gendered aspect I think even down to like something as simple as like handwriting like yes. with girls have this like yes. I remember oh, my yeah. I had teachers who like were like borderline making fun of me for how neat my handwriting was in like the homework that I turned in mm-hmm. and and then like yeah like I mean males just generally like I guess don't have as neat of handwriting as I also imagine that's just socialized. I yeah, think it's socialized. Totally. For sure. Yep, for totally. sure. Mm-hmm. Deeply. Yeah. Because you can just give a shit and, like, write back. <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. can. They're just very positive. Yeah. I also have shit. I have shit handwriting. Yeah. Like, my handwriting's not, not yeah, it's not good anymore. Because I just don't care. But it's interesting. I haven't thought about that in a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What about you? Oh, man. <laughs> Fight the power. You guys. I graduated top of my class. And was captain of everything. Like, very much treated more like a peer than a student by my teachers. Trying to organize the teachers? I mean, I'm just being really honest. Like, my teachers would talk to me about other students in ways that were really problematic, Mm -hmm. violated lots of boundaries. I got pulled out of class to, like, tutor other kids. Um, I was, like, allowed to make copies in the copy room and other people weren't. Like, I had a level of... I had a huge level of access. Um, The office staff would, like, write me excuse notes whenever I wanted to. Like, I was treated like a student. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's so interesting the ways in which our experience was really similar and the ways it wasn't. And so I think that instilled a sense of, like, they're treating me like peers, so I get to treat them like peers. You know, like, they established that relationship first. Mm -hmm. And so... um, I, one of my favorite stories, which is just like so annoying. Um, I was in a pre-calc class and the teacher, he sucked. He was just like not super engaging. The entire class was based on assessment. There was a lot of reinforcement of like, if you're smart, you're going to be good. If you're not, like you're barely going to squeak by. 
and I literally got into a screaming match with him about his syllabus, like yelled at him, told him he was being unfair, told him I never did my homework and yeah, I was getting 100% in the class and like had a full fucking breakdown. It was the first time I'd ever been to the principal's office. Principal was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like your class president. You need to chill out. And I was like shaking angry. Something like came to the surface around fairness and like how fucked up that class was. Literally two weeks later, he pulled me out of class and gave me his revised syllabus and told me that he had changed the entire grading structure, which didn't help unconditioned my like view that I am a peer to you guys yeah isn't that wild um my dad happened to be in the school that day when that happened too which was like a whole other thing um he got like a little bit of a rundown that that is something that happened and like the teachers tease me about it like mm-hmm. they're like oh I heard you gave Mr. Miller the talk like a talking to today so I was like I was treated as a pseudo peer um wow. yeah it's really fucked up so yeah, that was my experience. So I started engaging in resistance probably like my junior and senior year when I had like been inundated with a ton of responsibility and like expectations around other students' performances. Mm-hmm. I was deputized in a lot of ways. And so then I started like pushing back against a lot of things. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that your act of resistance though was not because you weren't doing well in the class. It was like this sense of unfairness for the other students in the class. I think that there's some of that that's like cool and there's a lot to unpack there too about sure. like why did I feel like that was my place to sure. assert, you know? Yeah. And I think I had a lot of experiences where I had a lot of experiences where I'd be pulled out of class to help a student who was like not doing their homework. And I would be treated as, like, almost a babysitter to them, even though... Yeah, a cop. Yeah, great. No, that's a good point. And instead of, like... Also, I had no training as a tutor. I had no set of expectations. What would typically happen... That's also a weird fucking thing. And more often than not, it was poor kids or kids of color. Mm -hmm. Almost every time. And so there's, like... Anyway, that's what I'm writing about in one of the classes for, like, a reflection we have to do. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, it would be, like, kid gets pulled out, very brief introduction... I sit in the hallway with them while they do the homework. Almost every time they had the skills, but like weren't completing the assignments. And like, what am I fucking supposed to do? That's not my job. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I am really glad that is coming up right now because this is, this is a pedagogical approach that I feel like has come up in a number of the materials that we've encountered this summer of like pairing differentially Mm. performing students as a way to like prop up the underperforming student and and I have every time it's come up have felt like is that actually like is it good I've got questions make that kind of grouping intentionally it feels bizarre to me and and I I am not I, I just hearing your description of your experience actually gives me some sort of narrative touch point for mm-hmm. thinking about that because I never encountered that in school at any point. I just had no point of reference um, from which to like make sense of that practice. And um, I guess I'm, as an alternative, I'm more interested in pursuing a classroom environment where the group is just seen as learning together mm-hmm. right where where it's mm-hmm. actually just not about individual markers of performance or like identifying different students abilities but 
like we as a group just have questions. Um, some of them I'm presenting as the teacher, some of them will come up from, from student contributions. And then together we're going to pursue those questions. And you know, I have a slightly different role than the students because I'm sort of bringing material into the classroom and mm -hmm. helping to structure our activity. But we're all learners, yeah. right? And I, I just, it feels like that kind of grouping runs really counter to that impulse for me. Oh, for sure does. No, because it's, yeah, it's, hey, you go with this student to pull them up. And then when they're where you're at, we have a bunch of views, which is like also a weird view of like, you are yeah. here, they are here, yeah. let's get them here. Yeah. And then I just got a bunch of these kids mm -hmm. who are at this level and it's like, this, I don't know, it, there's not like vertical elevation as far as... No, it goes. and it made me feel like there was a ceiling, like I had made it, you know, mm -hmm. like yes. I had, I had achieved all there was exactly. to achieve. It also did you a disservice. Yeah. For I think, yeah, I think the other students were done a greater disservice, <laughs> for sure, and the ways in which I entered college, wholly unprepared to like learn in a dynamic growth-based way it was all about like content acquisition and so Absolutely. I resisted a ton in college because I had been given a framework in high school yeah hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah well and I think that uh, idea of like you as an actualized high schooler also um it's a fallacy of like that will oh, yeah. it'll never exist and I think it's really important for students regardless mm -hmm. to like learn that because I felt similar things when I got to college but like mm -hmm. I thought I needed to be on top of everything so that I could like get the job I wanted to do, but then I was like, actually, what is that? And is that going to be intrinsically satisfying to just like be quote better than everyone else? Mm -hmm. Am I gonna get anything out of that? And the answer is no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Makes me think about like what you're talking about. Is like I like that you said like we have questions. Like I do like the idea of I feel like students are often brought together in collective resistance against the teacher. And some pe and same thing with teams, sports teams, it's like, the coach doesn't give a shit if you hate them, as long as you, like, hate them collectively together, because you're, like, have someone to, like, come against, and that makes camaraderie, but I think there's other ways for us to get there, and I really hope there are, mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of, like, what I think you're getting at, mm -hmm. of, like, how can we make that resistance not so individualized, but mm -hmm. go for it, pour it. I think, um... But maybe collective yeah, yeah. I, have, I have one more thing to add on this point yeah I'll do it to quiet for a little bit I think what you're speaking to John like mm -hmm. requires something that I don't feel like we've gotten to do as a cohort nor have we had it modeled very well which is like in order for people to see their peers as equals you need to like model that everyone has gifts they're contributing and everyone has intelligence they're bringing and like it's flying in the face of what they've likely experienced since like, I don't know, I think ability grouping starts in like third grade, yes. standardized tests start in third grade. And so I've just been thinking about how like critical it is for the first couple days or several weeks to be about like knowing each other and seeing each other as people who are contributing something in order for those types of spaces mm. to not replicate these weird hierarchies that they're yes. already like so conditioned in. Um, I want to pivot from here. I think that's a really good caveat. You just talked about like spending. You just talked about spending like the first chunk of time when you're in a collective space together, creating, cultivating that community. And I think that touches really well on chapter four stuff of like we must first address um, fight, flight, freeze, mm -hmm. and like creating a safe. Classroom for students before we can get into things that 
actively target the resistance. Um, because we have to shift how we think about resistance first. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the fight, flight, or freeze that we thought about. I think um, I haven't really thought about that much as like, oh, it's okay for us to spend the first couple weeks cultivating a safe classroom and not covering any content. Because I never did that. I've never done mm -hmm. that in a single class. Mm -hmm. I, I thought the, the learning as building discussion in chapter four was actually really helpful for this. Like students are coming in with a set of connections already in place, right? Like mm -hmm. they, they have uh, a set of life experiences, of academic exposures, of, you know, bad experiences, traumas, all of these things that are sort of forming the, the entity that actually enters your classroom. And then what you're trying to teach them just encounters that, just touches that, mm -hmm. right? So then we have to think about how we can sort of lead students towards building the connections they need to learn what we're trying to teach them, mm -hmm. right? So, so we're, not, we're not handing them preformed information. Mm -hmm. We're guiding them towards building essentially new information. I mean, mm -hmm. Whatever mm -hmm. they do with the stuff we bring to them, mm -hmm. it becomes a new thing as they point. make sense of it mm -hmm. uh, and incorporate it into their own worldview. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. The, the chapter talks a lot about how like knowledge is constructed and no, like, no two people will do the same thing with the same information mm -hmm. and like, interpret it in the same way. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah, and I'm, I've also been thinking a lot about, like, Charlie, what you said about creating the safe um, space and just how much power, like, a teacher has in that. And, um, like, I'll just read a quote. Um, so this is a little long, so bear with me. Oh, but, can I ask um, for a picture on? Sorry. Yes, 72. Awesome. Um, like, bottom half. Um so in evolutionary terms being wrong is an acceptable downside when predators are afoot it is far better to be wrong and quick rather than be right and slow but in our day-to-day -day interactions in which immediate threats are looming uh, predators are mostly rare system one's flight or fight response can get in the way for example, when students make public academic mistakes, their survival is rarely, if ever, in question. Um, as, okay, sorry. <laughs> no saber-toothed tiger is going to eat them for lunch because they answered a, a teacher's question wrong or wrote a problem on the board that contained errors. As far as the food chain goes, they'll be fine. However, their dwindling self-work Worth, shaky social connections, and fear of looking dumb might be experienced as threats if their wrong answer is accompanied by ridicule, ridicule, embarrassment, and shame. In such instances, a student's flight or fight response can be activated, and when it is, most of the thinking being done by the individual in that moment will be processed by system one, the very system least capable of complex thought and most likely to make judgments based on reductive thinking over generalization, bias, and impulse. That's good. 
That's yeah. really good. That's a really good quote. Um, so yeah, I just think about it even in like, there are a lot of like non-explicit ways that that kind of like embarrassment, shame can like show up in the classroom, both by like our actions as teachers, if we're not like always aware of the messages that we're sending students or just in a class of like 30 plus students where we can't be class size aware like of like every single you know interaction that's happening at all times mm-hmm. so like how do you yeah just like yeah again like the importance of like cultivating that safe space early on um and making it that like collective expectation that like we all take care of each other and like we all mm-hmm. contribute to like building this space together can I throw a hypothetical at you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're in the classroom, and you have a question that has a right answer that you're going to pose to the students. Could you give us an example? Uh, so, like, uh, <laughs> it's hard to think one when you're on the block, It really huh? is. Um, I'm, I'm going to edit. I'm going to edit. I'm going to put a little bit of background jazz. Well, I got it. What, yeah, what's the capital of Texas? All right. It's Austin, by the way. Yeah. So that no I, one's on the spot. Okay. <laughs> um, I knew that. I have a resistant answer. <laughs> so, so I guess I'm imagining a scenario yep. where for whatever reason you are posing a question and a student has a totally wrong answer, just like way off base for Amarillo. whatever reason. They're, they say it's like Baton Rouge or something, <laughs> like not even in Texas, whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I like this hypothetical. I do too. So what do you do in response to that that affirms the student, mm-hmm. that corrects the information, and that facilitates a positive classroom environment? Um, right? Because really- I feel like when I think about this, there are just so many pitfalls. Yeah. There are so many ways to respond such that the student feels bad for being wrong because I think all of us often feel bad for being wrong, mm-hmm. you know? Being mm-hmm. wrong sucks. It yeah. sucks. It feels I bad. I hate being wrong more than I like being right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I was just kind of That's a good feeling question. that hypothetical kind of emerge in my head and wanted yeah. to pose it to yeah. you guys. Well, and I also just think about like, if the student knows that they're wrong and then they may even interpret like even if you don't say anything they may see something on your face that like you don't even realize that <laughs> yeah. you're doing yeah. and then yeah. they yeah. see yeah. it yeah. as good job dumbass yeah yeah like it's yeah. when you're in that like space yeah. of feeling embarrassed you like over you like pay such close attention to like yeah. all of these little what are you gonna say them? You just gonna say don't ask that question. No, I wasn't gonna say don't ask a question because that's not helpful. There may be situations where you have to ask that question. I think, I guess I'm I'm struggling because ideally, at a secondary level, and maybe this is like mincing it a little bit, we would kind of be on that those types of questions and be able to talk about like why is the capital here and like what implications does that have for like totally. the states you yeah. know what I mean so I'm trying I mean I don't I, I don't mean to be a dick a to be example. like yeah exactly yeah. so <laughs> I, that was my first reaction I was like it's not fair because you were asked to put whatever or but, let me sorry 
if yeah, I can just briefly, run. maybe maybe it could be something that has to do with interpreting a text, right? So yes, we're like yes, talking I think that's, about I think that's fair. like what a theme in a book is, or something. Or yeah. you know, like, like clearly why something happened. Like why did the world war? Why did the U.S. enter World War Two? Mm-hmm. That's like there is a right answer to that question, and there is a dominant answer to that question. That's a and good that's one. what's difficult too. Is like when I, and is that maybe closer to what you're. No, you're going to... I can't uh, tell. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, go, and come I on. I think it's like, uh, how do I... If a, if a fucking student says the dominant answer, how do mm-hmm. I, like, not make them feel dumb, not be adversarial about it, and how do I, like, redirect the conversation to, like, what I'm hoping the theme comes to, which is, like, anti-imperialism, right? <laughs> and I think it's difficult to engage them not to... I was actually thinking about your Austin answer... I think what I've done in the past is if I had a relationship with a student, I would kind of, like, goof with them. Because I think we need to, like, lower the stakes in some ways. Like, yeah. Humor mm-hmm. is one of the easy ways to do them. Mm-hmm. But actually thinking, this is a, I don't know how y'all feel about this, and I wasn't going to say don't ask the question, but I wonder if, like, we do need to stop asking, and this is not, I mean, you were trying to figure out a question. I wonder if we <laughs> stop really asking. Point, John, I wonder if, like, <laughs> you are bringing up the bigger point, like, maybe we stop asking like, those questions that we can figure out, because I don't know if the students gain anything besides, like, a gerbil on a feedback loop of, like, mm-hmm. reaffirmation for answering a question that anyone could have Googled. Yeah, yeah, don't ask questions, you can Google. It's <laughs> just so funny because I'm so unsatisfied with the capital answer. I, but, I, but I do think, all right, all right, all right, let me, let me okay, try to... We could stick on that. Baton Rouge, why would a student, I mean, I would want to say, I like... I would shitpost you and say <laughs> oh my god I'd be like I'd be like that's in the same region of the country why did you think it was Baton Rouge and like because there might be something smart that's coming from mm-hmm. why they thought it was Baton Rouge yeah. like you know mm-hmm. like, I, I do worry though that would just like maybe they're like I, I, I don't know I don't know I'm just like I'm now I'm where you're at of like how do I um, I guess you can also respond and be like, was that a guess? Or do you have some evidence to back up why you're, guess- why yeah, you're suggesting good, that? And then idea, you like so. dig in. If it's, a de- if it's a guess, I think you can be like, okay, well, guess was wrong. And a lot of guesses are. Moving <laughs> yeah. on. Like, that's really nice. That's actually good. Like, that's actually super helpful. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, that is helpful. I actually, this reminds me, and I think this gets a resistance and like the fight, flight or freeze thing that we also experience as teachers. And I think this is why micro-teaching to me felt a little uncomfortable, and maybe this is also a product of me going first. I need... Yeah, you really took one for the team. I yeah. need time and space to, like, interact with everyone, figure out the physical space, figure out, like, the emotional space, the social space, before I, like, get up and start... Because if I'm trying to instruct and, like, orchestrate an orchestra that is a classroom, and simultaneously figure out how everyone plays the instruments, how everyone... What like, instruments they play. Yes, exactly. It's really hard for me to do, and I think I was experiencing literally what this is talking about with students, of like, I didn't know anything about the landscape, mm-hmm. and our, where everyone was at, so it was really hard for me to teach in that, and we're asking students to walk into the classroom mm-hmm. and be students in that, which for them, it's a lot more socially stressful. Like, if I mess up, I don't care that much. I'm like a grown adult. I have... My, all my own friends, <laughs> like, <laughs> but they are like figuring a lot of those things out for mm-hmm. some of the first times. I think. Well, some of their identities are tied up in how they're performing in a classroom, yes. which is mm-hmm. like a little, absolutely. You know. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's just as important for us as it is for them. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, Our identities. 
on Joel's point, are also tied up in how we perform in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think this, it's interesting this book is talking about student resistance and doesn't really touch that much on teacher resistance. Yeah. I feel like a good thing we can model is like, we're undoubtedly gonna feel embarrassed or like we don't know and just being able to say like, I'm feeling kind of embarrassed right now or like, I'm feeling pretty nervous because this is new content. Like I actually think of that model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that so much. Honestly, more, just as important, if not more than like, content modeling like we've talked so much about how to model like here's how I want you to write the paper and it's like Mm -hmm. shouldn't we first be modeling like here's how I want you to be and like respond and interact Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is what like when you mess up I think the Austin question raises an important thing like you also need to model what it's like that you're saying to what Mm -hmm. what it looks like to mess up you know, mm-hmm. and like even maybe giving like personal accounts of like when you thought a thing and you now radically have changed your perspective on that thing because of new information. Mm-hmm. Yes. I actually, it's it's kind of funny. So I have a terrible record with geography. Like that was one of the classes I did the worst on <laughs> in secondary school. So I said Baton Rouge and then for just a split second, I was like, wait, Is it? am I wrong? <laughs> Could that be in Texas? <laughs> it's like, I know it's not the capital, but maybe I'm just like really off base it's like no no i got it's all right but i but i do think that like actually talking through that in front of students Mm -hmm. is really valuable because i I mean i personally feel like there are a ton there are way more things that i know very little about or i'm really shaky on than there are things that i feel super strong on yeah and and just making clear because we're gonna teach stuff that we don't know that well all the time that's just the reality of of teaching Mm -hmm. yeah uh really at any level but but definitely in secondary school like we got to cover way more material than anyone could be an expert in breath way more than uh, that absolutely like, yeah absolutely mm-hmm. are I mean, you I saying think, have the conversation we just had with your students well just like owning publicly to your students like hey this is pretty new information for me that, that we're working through yeah I like that. um so that they understand like where you're positioned and see that it's like it's okay to just own when you kind of don't know a lot about something because mm-hmm. most of us don't know a lot about most things yeah. what do you guys think of like even this might just be the psych major in me talking but even like modeling some of these um like issues that come up when we're learning new information like um like oh I'm really struggling with this because this doesn't fit in with what I thought I know, like that's my cognitive dissonance talking, or like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, or like, or like you really <laughs> seem to be using that's, your that's like, you yeah. really seem to rea- be like, reacting with your like system no, one because <laughs> people don't recognize yeah. that, and it's like so important to recognize that because if you don't, then pretty soon you're just like, and I think it normalizes it too, and it makes absolutely. it like validates that like you're feeling this way because this is the way that your brain is wired to be. To, yeah. yeah, I think I think that that could question. also I, I think that that could thoughts. also easily get into like con- like students feeling like you're being condescending towards them like oh you're really reacting with that system one right now instead of the but I but think, I think like I don't know maybe I in a psych class that, and yeah. yeah I think it is useful and I I remember a lot of that in elementary school like I actually remember behaviors being modeled and being asked of us like sharing was like a, a learning objective was like yes. learning how to yes. and how that you goes away and this is total tangent but I was just thinking you said something earlier that made me think about like even the way our classrooms are structured does not like how they're phys- the physical space like we are not looking at one another we are looking at the teacher mm-hmm. and just how like doing something as simple as like reorganizing the classrooms like they were in elementary school like 
recontextualizes the whole class. And how are they organized in elementary school? Group tables. Yeah. Group tables. Yeah. Or yeah. like desks that faced one another, so you had like that's a good point. You watched the teacher, but then you watched each other, and then you like kind of. I was also thinking like at you. I know we're just now we're in the weeds, but I was like I have seen that also very very useful because it feels like Socratic. everyone's like on the Jedi Council basically. Yeah. Hell yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like everyone appears to be like, like they're owning space and they're also like visible, and it seems like the space they take up is as important as every single other person. Mm-hmm. I, I think also. Oh sorry. Oh no, God. I was just gonna say, I think it's, it's also good to just, like switch up. it up too. Like when yeah, I was when I was working with students and kind of doing teaching, um, we would just like every few weeks I would like try something new and then it just kind of helps with like it just it feels more fresh with students and then some people mm-hmm. benefit yeah. more from different formats than others. I messed with the classroom architecture all the time as a as a philosophy grad student. Like I would Sit in a desk in the back of the class. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I love that. Actually, it too. It just Actually. sounds like a, like a Robin Williams <laughs> youth pastor sitting backwards yeah, on a chair. <laughs> or like actively, even though we had like crappy old desks with with like the the chair with the built-in little like writing desk on the oh, side oh, or like even Abolish. if they're locked into the floor, like whatever. No bad. No matter how bad the architecture is, just. I mean, maybe in some ways it's like enacting resistance to yeah. the classroom That's architecture. Good, damn, I like that. I'm Could you say that a little closer it. to the mic? <laughs> 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 uh, but seriously, I mean, we, without a doubt, some of us in this program will end up teaching in schools where the architecture is built for the banking model of education. 100%. Where like the, whoever designed it imagined a teacher at the front of the class regulating the behavior of the students and generate like mm-hmm. passing knowledge towards them in the rest of the class. Like they will be, they will all be facing the front. Their chairs might be rooted into the floor. Mm-hmm. Like that, so much educational architecture is philosophically informed and modeled literally after prisons. Actually, like actually, prisons. yeah, prisons. yes. Yeah. And so the more that we can practice resisting that ourselves mm-hmm. as teachers, mm-hmm. the more we can set up our students to sort of interrogate those expectations yeah. and upend them and take ownership over their, their own education. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually had anything, do you remember when y'all were in elementary, did you have the open top desk where you kept your shit inside? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That just yeah. had me thinking like one of the, one of like kind of my safety blankets, yeah. right, is I would keep, I would like take stuff underneath the desk mm-hmm. and I would like- Yeah, it was like your own space. Like, yeah, and it's like- That's beautiful. That is, like that's when I felt good, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I could have that in the classroom. So I was like, "This is my little. Mm-hmm. I got my little snacks in here. I got my little like poster of Spider Man or whatever." Mm-hmm. And I think like that's something you're getting at is like, um, that's literally the only place I felt where I the teacher couldn't see yeah. what I was doing, and I wouldn't be like judged for the stuff that I was doing in there. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I was like, hey, keep your desk down, keep your desk down. It's like, I just want to like look at my ass. And even pictures. like, like we, in high school you have lockers, but it's different because it's not like in that same space that you're learning. Yeah. And, and your locker always, can, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, I wonder if we're about to say the same thing. Go ahead. No, you say it. Nope. You're better be nope, concise. I won't. <clears throat> That's we're a, just going to sit here in silence. I'm resisting. Joel, you have to have a growth mindset. You said that I'm better, but... 
growth mindset sounds like <laughs> Tim Ferriss, like, 40-hour work. Here's the thing about growth mindset. Yeah, uh, it has to be something you care to grow in. Ah! <laughs> oh. I love being freewheeling. So okay. I just don't want to annoy everybody else. So you go for it. I was going to say, and Joel can tell me if this was also what she was going to say, is that your locker is not actually your space. Boom! That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. So it can it can be entered mm. into by, by you know, officials in the school. That's and that's reinforced all the time. All you the time. sit in class while the dog sniffs around school for drugs in your locker. Yeah, at least that's, that's what true. I was thinking. Yeah, I didn't yeah, experience totally. that The strip searching of your space is yeah, just as invasive <laughs> as a strip searching of your body. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Absolutely. Totally. The only, like, collective identity you have is resistance those things yeah like as students like this mm-hmm. sucks because your teachers are also yeah. part of that they're not yeah. like they're with you oh i so. i think that's I've gonna be a tough thing for me also to to heard and this might be completely wrong so correct me if i'm wrong but that in like urban like lower income elementary schools they don't have those like desks that are theirs that they can put their that things in oh i'm not because there's that, fear but... of theft and yeah also yeah. we gotta figure out we can't I feel like when cool. we say, ever, and this is not you, I'm pointing at a larger thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to, we need to stop saying urban, because mm-hmm. sometimes we don't even mean urban, we just mean black and brown. We don't yeah. even mean, we don't even mean like. Yeah, Southwest like, High School is an urban high school, yeah. and it's not what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I'm just like, how do we, I don't know the words. Totally. I hate saying Yeah, sorry, that was no, my, no, my, no, my like, you didn't get we are all was, doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. said it, totally. and I, I haven't been in a setting to like talk about yeah because that also seems like we're already like creating a like a layer of resistance for ourselves well mm-hmm. i wanted to return to one thing i know you want to say something do you want to uh-huh. go first just oh. how you're talking about the architecture and i'm like and if being at a Dinah high school taught us anything it's that that architecture is not present in rich schools like mm-hmm. rich schools no. decide Ooh. kids get to collaborate and be mm-hmm. learners and, and they get entire schools, tables they get they get fucking glass-walled breakout rooms like a college campus. I was mm-hmm. like, where are we? <laughs> Seriously. Yep. I, I, I honestly, well, so when I, I did my, I did a philosophical discussion for my micro-teaching. Uh-huh. And it was so easy for us to go from me talking to the whole group mm-hmm. to them talking in small groups to us circling up and talking mm. about stuff. I mean, the the ability to seamlessly move between different types of organization that fit the task at hand was remarkable. Yeah. And I have been in spaces that are just so different from that in terms of the architecture's resistance to what we were trying to do in the classroom. And it's, yeah, it's just like, it was really wild to be at Edina. That really makes me think. We had rolly chairs, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It really makes me think, like, that's something I wish... They didn't, Jayhan, and I don't remember the other... The principal's name. But um, I wish they would have brought that up. Because I would have, like... I should have thought about that. And that's something we really talked about in our program. Mm-hmm. Like, how... I mean, you... Yeah. Craft resistance. You also wouldn't have known I know, that was if, a Dyna High School sort of... You know what I mean? But if I would have been thinking about that, I immediately would have went in there and just moved shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you two have, like... A conception of Edina before that's that? That's a really good question. Not um, kind of, because okay. I had heard it was nice, and then I Google Maps it, and there was no football field there, like, or track, and I was like, this must either be a bum school, or this must be, like, super high-end if they have a sports facility. I'm like, I've never even heard of that, so this must be really bad or really not nice, and then I saw they had turf lacrosse field, and I was like, 
So a number of but people... But not like as nice as it was when I walked in. Commented on the fact that I wore shorts <laughs> to micro-teaching. Cool. Yeah, like, that was weird. Many people, yeah. double-digit people commented on my, the fact I that actually, I was wearing I shorts. I did, did I? I don't think Do so. Do you okay. mean like people outside the cohort too? Uh, both. Yeah. So, but here's the reason I bring it up is because I in a non complimentary way, like not like hey, I like your shorts. Just man. like whoa, you're wearing shorts. Yeah. You were resisting. Yeah. I was resisting. <laughs> so I wore shorts because I didn't know if we were going to have a seat. I was like, mm. some schools probably don't have good central air, and maybe it's not on in the summer, Damn. and I'm going to literally die <laughs> if I'm wearing <laughs> dress pants and trying to teach today. So I'm wearing shorts, and that's just how it's going to be. <laughs> and so, yeah, I had no idea what I was getting into. When I stepped into that school, I was like, what is this building? Like, how much money has been spent on this educational space? I, I, was, I was blown away. No, just, I mean, just actually blown no, away no. by this space. And also, it was very nice and cool. This is, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's so funny that that was your choice. I saw you wearing shorts and was like, oh, casual. Yeah. Love that you're on the casual train. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes. <laughs> no. And actually, some more backstory is I was thinking about wearing pants, and Paula was like, John, you know you're not going to be able to teach in those pants if there's no AC in this building. And I was like, you are so right. Mm. I can't. Yeah, I saw it, and I was like, you're just doing the opposite of me. I'm wearing long on the bottom, short on the top, That's and right. you're doing the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. That's so funny, because I went in, like, I'm curious what your, like, perception on Edina is, but I went in, like, preparing to need to resist, because I was, uh, my other reaction was going to be, I was going to be so fucking angry. Like, mm-hmm. if I walk into spaces like that, I get so fucking angry, yeah. noticing how much some people have, and mm-hmm. it's just so yeah. arbitrary, mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I, like, went in ready to make jokes about it and, like, mm-hmm. point things out because I, my other reaction would have just been to be, like, fuming. Mm-hmm. Another thing that, this is, like, getting off topic from the reading, but I am curious about your thoughts on this. So, another thing that I think I sometimes struggle with is, like, even the way that we talk about suburban schools, like, suburban schools especially in the Twin Cities, are very different. Like Edina and Columbia Heights Mm -hmm. and Eden Prairie and Brooklyn Park, completely different. Stillwater, St. Louis Park. Yeah, like, and so I worked in a northern suburb school for two years, um, Coon Rapids. It's literally called Coon Rapids. Um, It's like 30 miles north. And it's like, I I think it's... We were just there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so it's like pretty like historically white conservative, like it's, it's like almost in between like Minneapolis and St. Cloud. Um, but it's become like pretty diverse. I think it's like 40% students of color, um, now. And like, even just like the way, like being a student of color in a predominantly white space is really hard. Um, and like, that was something that I like observed a lot with the students that I was working with and even just like I don't know I don't think we necessarily talk enough about uh, enough about like the experience of like that like alienation of like being a student of color in a suburban school too Mm. Mm. yes and like that like both like the racial inequality the economic inequality potentially like yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. We kind of just talk about like white saviorism, and then the way we frame combating that is 
communist white saviors. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be white saviors. Go teach in predominantly black and brown schools. So um, fun. Yeah. It makes me so mad. But yeah, I think there is like, I don't want to suburban erasure is not what I'm saying. No. But there is like, it is important for us to talk about that. Because also mm-hmm. when we think about like political power. Mm-hmm. It's like essentializing suburbs though in some way. No, it really is. Because yeah. they, yeah. like, they vary greatly. Some of them are very like rural feeling. Like for Austin, I don't talk about this Austin. She grew up outside of Chicago in uh, Plainfield and Joliet. And it is not very different than the town I grew up in 400, like, spatially. There's a mm-hmm. lot of cornfields, there's, like, gas stations on the corner. But it's also, like, has a metro line that goes right in Chicago, and it's, like, 30 minutes to get downtown. Um, and that is a very different experience than, like, some suburbs mm-hmm. here. And even totally. other suburbs, like, Naperville yeah. and mm-hmm. Chicago. Um, like, we just kind of whitewash them and essentialize them, and I think. Yeah. And, like, a lot of, a lot of my students used to live in Minneapolis when they were younger, and they were pushed out because of housing prices. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. I think yeah. maybe one one way to frame this is that we, we do often tend to talk about differences between schools and like the, the sort of class and racial dynamics of sort of uh, urban and suburban kind of planning and organization and the distribution mm-hmm. of populations, but it, we also need to talk about like internal school dynamics and the the way that like there are differences within individual schools um, of like access and um, mm-hmm. and privilege. Like, I mean, you know, we're talking about Edina, but not every student at totally. Edina has the has access to the Absolutely. same resources. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, if if you are teaching in that school, then like being a justice-oriented teacher is doubly means, important so much. It mm-hmm. means like identifying who is being left out by mm-hmm. the social yes. dynamics of that institution. Yeah, mm-hmm. or who's having to like code switch and pass, you yeah. know? Like yeah, who yeah. doesn't want their peers to know that mm-hmm. they're not like them if yeah. the dominant reality yeah. totally. there is that you come from a rich or upper-class family. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, to Charlie's point, like as damaging, more da- I mean, we don't need to put like harm on sort of hierarchy. a weird hierarchy, Bird but hierarchy. like... Yeah, it's just super damaging to be yeah. in that environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we were talking a little bit before podcasting about our different educational experiences, and I moved from rural Texas schools to a very affluent private school in Boston where my dad taught. Uh, and like, I definitely adjusted the way that I spoke the sort of cultural references that I made, things like that, mm-hmm. to be comfortable and accepted in that new space. Hmm. And like, I had the benefit of, you know, a family of teachers, you know, reasonable access to wealth, like cultural capital, all of that stuff. So the, the sort of penalty for failing or succeeding in that enterprise was different for me than it would be for another student. Yeah. Um, but it, it was still the case that I had mm-hmm. to adjust my identity to uh, like fully integrate into that new social setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, hmm. sort of reflecting on that. Mm-hmm.
I have an idea for how we end the podcast. We don't need to end right now, but we should all go around and guess how many times the word resistance was used. I'll go back and count them up. And then... <laughs> I like that. I think it was 15. Let's say 21. 14. 32. Whoa. Are we playing Crisis High School? Yeah, I was going to ask if we're playing Pride. That's such a Midwest question. Yes, sir. Thumbs up or thumbs down on Crisis Right rules? I think yes. That's just closest? No, if you go over. Or, I guess oh, pretty high, so I'll over, say thumbs up. Over, over is a must, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah I think it's over. over. Okay, well. Yeah. We'll declare a Price is Right winner <laughs> and a non-Price is Right rule winner as well. Uh, I, I had suggested that we might um, read and discuss the closing vignette. Oh, I think that'd be a really Do good like, wrap-up. Yeah. You guys yeah. want to close that way? I've got yeah. a, I can say for maybe 10 more minutes. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just read uh, Super Busy from the end of Chapter 5, uh, and then we'll... Maybe take a moment to reflect on it. Miss Harris is dismayed at what she sees. After weeks of preparation and reminders, she can tell that Maria hasn't even started her history project, and it is due the next day. Miss Harris has been worried about Maria's progress, but has felt the need to protect her from embarrassment because of Maria's obvious shyness. Maria does her best to disappear in class, rarely jumping into class discussions and almost never asking any questions. So Miss Harris typically uses those moments before and after class to check in with her to try to develop a personal relationship with Maria so that she will want to engage more in class. Unfortunately, things have been so busy recently that Miss Harris hasn't had the chance to pull Maria aside to see how things are going. But today, after Maria spends the period in silence and makes it clear she has nothing prepared for tomorrow's project presentation day, Miss Harris asks Maria to talk for a minute at the end of class. You've had over a month to work on this, Maria. Why haven't you made any progress? Miss Harris asks. Knowing as soon as she was asked to stay after class that she was going to be asked about this, Maria answers quickly, I'm sorry, I've been super busy with soccer practice and other homework. I haven't had any time. Just then, Maria's smartphone makes a noise Miss Harris recognizes as an alert that a text message has been received. Seeing Miss Harris's look of annoyance about this, Maria quickly looks at her phone to see who just texted before hitting the silence button and putting it back in her pocket. Maria then adds, I sat down to try to start it a couple of times, but always had other things that came up, so I never got going on it. I'm sorry. Growing frustrated at the cell phone and at the excuses, Miss Harris asks Maria, why didn't you ask me for help? You know this project is a big part of your grade, and you have known for a long time that you were going to present it in class to everyone. How do you plan to pass this class if you fail this project? Maria thinks for a second about what Miss Harris has said, then thinks about her friend's text message, then thinks back to the question Miss Harris has just asked. I don't know, Maria replies. I guess I'll work harder on stuff the rest of the semester. Unsure of how to respond, Miss Harris lets Maria know that if she failed the project, it would likely be the main topic of discussion at their upcoming parent-teacher conference. Maria listens, shrugs, mumbles okay, then turns, takes out her phone to text her friend back, and walks to her next class. So, I that's very realistic. I'm going to go back and quick, but feel free to have the So something that really jumped out at me as I was rereading it, just to get us started, is that the teacher's busyness mirrors the student's busyness. Mm-hmm. So the, the teacher, 
uh, it describes the teacher trying to sort of build a relationship with Maria, talk to her before and after class, etc., getting busy, failing to do that. Mm. Well, Maria gets busy and well, fails to produce the project. Yeah. So they, they really parallel each other in a lot of ways and the teacher is only seeing Maria's busyness mm. uh, and and failure rather than seeing her own failure to continue that sort of relationship building and system of accountability for Maria so so it feels to me in reading it um, like the students status on the project is a reflection of the teacher's activity more actually than it is a reflection of the students. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that matches y'all's kind of Well, as Power's playing on it, yes. She's yeah. like, okay, I'm busy, but I'm also a grown-up. I'm a teacher. Like, this is your job. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you need to do this. Mm -hmm. And also, I feel like the comment at the end of, like, hey, if you don't do this, or, like, pull it together, this will be the conversation at parent-teacher conferences mm -hmm. is like a full escalation to mm -hmm. the role of like teacher and power holder. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a threat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Cop. Should... <laughs> How many times has word cop been said? <laughs> three. It is three. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess it's funny to me because if the power dynamics were different, it could easily be Maria saying this will be the topic of our next parent-teacher conference. Right? Like she could easily be saying, we'll be yeah. talking in the parent-teacher conference about your failure as a teacher to do your job in helping me get this project done. I mean, it, the, the, the fact that the parent-teacher conference is about Maria is a direct output of the power dynamics because the failure due to busyness is is parallel it's yes. so it's interesting wow that's this because students never have agency in those parent teacher i'm pretty sure students they're not even, they don't even go usually i don't know if they're allowed at least in my high school yeah. i don't think they were allowed yeah we didn't have them at my school mm -hmm. I, it was like that was not the structure of, of mm -hmm. sort of communication so i don't i don't know yeah that's cool do you how small was your school? This is totally a tangent. I'm just curious. Uh, if... My class was like 160. Okay. What were your class sizes? Small. 15 times. Interesting. Wow. Total tangent. I was just curious how that might inform that. Yeah, we, I mean, yeah, my, my high school was a very interesting environment. We got written comments. Every single student got written comments by like quarter from teachers sent home to the students. I did you like that? How'd you feel no. about it? No? <laughs> I mean, I didn't. Care. I just have to be like, I love that. <laughs> I didn't care. I think, but um, it didn't. It didn't do much for me, honestly. When there were nice things said, then my parents liked it, and I felt good. And when there were things that were not nice, then like we talked about it a little, and I felt kind of neutral about that. And mm -hmm. I don't know. It it didn't work for me that well, but. No, I also wonder how useful it is to establish a relationship where whatever your teacher says about you or like your work is like, it gets to define you or your work, you know? And just like kind yeah. of telling your students that, I don't know, that's another instance where you could just model, hey, I might be wrong about something I do in grading, something I do in like appraising your behavior. And that's an instance where I think 
the teacher, it seems like at this point, has kind of made a miscalculation on why she hasn't done it and how to go about making sure she improves or like at least communicates with you in the future because this is not better. This is actually worse. Yeah, um, this was tragic. Like, this was really bad. Yeah. Because yeah. really it seemed bad. like a moment that could have led to like some honesty and growth. Yeah, imagine just asking instead, like, how are you doing? Yeah. You know? I, I mean, just a simple... Like, set the assignment aside for a moment and just check in with a student who yeah. like you've dropped the ball on for weeks and see if she's doing okay like maybe the text wasn't from a friend maybe it's from a family member and grandma's in the hospital or you know you, like you just don't know also she already didn't do the project like, <laughs> it's too late so like, that's like what, I was what are you gonna say. get out of like just yelling at her is not gonna like you're not gonna get a project so at least like see where she's yeah. Like, if you want yeah. to make progress, I mean, like, yeah, make you some. need to own... I, the teacher should have said, hey, what? I'm really sorry I didn't check in with you a couple weeks ago about how the project was going. Mm-hmm. Which I think gives a student an opportunity to be like, oh, like, you're owning your shit. Maybe I'll yeah. own that online management. You know, I think students, depending on age and whatever, I think a lot of students can be like, yeah, I didn't really prioritize this. Mm-hmm. I would feel comfortable saying that as an adult and a grad student. Yes, you know, but but, not... but a sophomore in high school is I mean, ninety nine out of a hundred sophomores are not gonna feel comfortable having that conversation with their mm-hmm. teacher. No, I don't think so. Which is why I think we need to like model yeah. that side yeah, exactly. to like maybe start to pull out that it's okay to yeah to do that. Yeah. I also <laughs> stood out to me was she uh, pulls her aside after class to try to develop a personal relationship with Maria. I was like, this is not, this is, this is you a, start you're the... chastising her. Like, yeah. this is not a personal relationship. Yeah. You're a lot more likely to get fired for, like, being a communist than you are for just, like, God, not holding students up to, like, the project. <laughs> like, like, no one's gonna fire you because you didn't, like, drag her across the coals for not ending in her project. You know what I mean? Like, the consequences of, like, her not turning her project Aren't that great to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or her, like, you know? Yeah. How do you I was plan gonna... to pass this class if you fail the project? I just, this is, yeah. Yeah, oh my God, thank you for saying that. Because it, that framing acts as if everything about the organization of the class is not arbitrary. Like, it's all you arbitrary. You gave yourself away by saying that as a teacher. Well, yeah. look, extra like, credit? Why, why not just say, hey, you know what? Why don't you take a couple extra weeks to mm-hmm. work on the project and we'll get to it then? Yeah, I just, yeah. I cannot understand as a teacher it being inflexible in such a way that it just requires that the student fails yeah like it's that's like you are making a choice yeah at that point. Yes. exactly yeah it's not it doesn't have to be that way mm-hmm. the deadline can be next week it can be a month from now like yeah you might have to it, it might make grading a little more difficult you know things might pile up a little bit but that's okay if it's the difference between just like foreclosing the possibility of the student passing your class or not or offer an alternative totally like, you know can you stay after class or for practice and we can like chat about the unit yeah. and i'll do a mm-hmm. you know a verbal exam or whatever the only way i can see like getting yourself into this predicament is if you make the mistake of like thinking the way we do and then you actually i mean i'm sure there's some teachers who like this is how they fundamentally approach teaching but i'm thinking about us i'm thinking the way that we do this is like we go 
to a district and we don't ask like the important questions and then we end up in a district that's just like, like this is the framework mm-hmm. yeah it's just I, I was gonna say like right. this is awful but this is also so common no yeah, like, I was just thinking like I just won't I think we just have to be like yeah I just won't teach there yeah even if it's like the school that we think quote needs us I think it's I think the same way about every single institution like if you go in with like full heart like you want to make change and they're not about that they'll cru- like they'll crush you mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I think that about policing I think that about like I'm sure that's even true about fucking like medicine like, mm-hmm. I'm sure doctors don't sign up like with the idea that they're going to bankrupt a family by performing surgery but mm-hmm. they do it anyway mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I know that's that's been a tough pill for me to swallow but I just like don't think I can I can do it and like feel good about myself like mm-hmm. I don't think I could have this conversation with a student and like feel good it would make, I would feel pretty self-loathing if I yeah. said this too soon. Because, honestly, I've been, like, in paraprofessional work, I've been with students who, like, were kind of in this situation where they just didn't do the project. Because, like, I had one kid who would drive three hours every weekend to work on an oil rig, and he was 16. And I was like, oh, I was right, Reaper. <laughs> yeah, straight up. I used to write I'll just fucking do yeah. it. Yeah. Like, I'm not, like, I'm yeah. not going to make you fail. Yeah. Like, this is... This is dumb. Like, this is all made up. Yeah. And I just, like, don't see myself, like, being that different when it comes to being a yeah. teacher. I, I do think that's important. It, it, there are two elements that I hear in that, Charlie. One is, like, recognizing our limits. Like, being able to exist in an institution that fundamentally works against what we think teaching should be like I, I think there's there's an element to that and also like the the other side of it is when we are in a school like identifying the ways in which that institution that culture pushes towards this kind of interaction with students and like figuring out our own resistance around that That's like how, mm-hmm. how, do, how do we both just straight up undermine the institution like yeah. you're talking about with, with the student working in the oil rig um or like collaborate with like like-minded teachers push the administration do whatever we can to like shift things yeah. uh towards where we think they should be mm-hmm. yeah it's so i love how you said that john something that's getting that's like um something it's reminding me of is do you guys remember in jayhan's presentation where she was like the best defense against like uh, uh, like attacks my yeah, students. is that my students like me? And I was, uh, do, you, do you guys remember mm-hmm. this? I think so, yeah. I think there's a lot of truth in that, but it really, like, felt jarring to me because I'm like, damn, my best defense is that I'm in relationship with other teachers who are moving the way I want to be. And you can't I, fire me, everyone will quit. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that is, like, the most extreme escalation, but it's, I don't know, I just... I've been really struggling, I don't know if this is even on the point of resistance, but I've been really struggling with the idea that like, um, it's all based on what's happening in the classroom, mm. you know? Like, yeah, that like our best defense against all these things like happens in this like weird little myopic space. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not super on the point no, of what you mentioned, really you think about like, to, to me resistance isn't just a bending the system in like, your classroom, which is important, those like inter- interpersonal interactions, but it's also like, yeah, to Charlie's point, like having enough solidarity that a wrong up. against Kelly is like, I'm gonna fucking go on a strike. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Absolutely. Or collective runs gets all of that. Also, for which teachers who are like, you know, we've been talking about Scouts class, how like you shouldn't just like go to Stanford and just like take some articles and drop it. Maybe when we're with teachers who are like very like lukewarm on stuff, we're just like, you want some of my lesson plans? Here, do this. Just check. I'm really going to struggle with that. I, I feel the same way, but I'm really going to struggle. Giving your like, lesson plans to people? No, not at all. Here, have them. <laughs> um, I am going to struggle with how, and this program I think is reinforcing it, like the idea that as people who are trained in a particular way or are coming in with a fresher perspective, that like, there's a lot that's reinforcing that we're going to be better teachers yep. than a lot of the teachers yep. that yep. are there. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a really And there's point. part of me that's like, some of that's kind of true. Mm-hmm. And a part of me that's like, that's a really fucked up way to orient us to yeah. people. I think we have a lot to learn As like from. a first year teacher, like here. Well, and what's going to make all them resist shit. to us fast yeah, us coming yeah, in and thinking totally. we're like the hottest shit ever. So yeah. I've just been wrestling with like, how am I going to show up with people who, yeah, I, there are going to be people who I'm like, you're a bad teacher. Mm-hmm. But, and there's going to be some people I'm like, I have no business like giving you any advice. <laughs> I don't oh. know. Yeah. I don't know. I think There are so many elements to effective teaching that, like, I I don't know. I guess I'm just thinking now about the teachers who were in our classroom for micro-teaching. And, like, I I absolutely imagine if I had any of them as a colleague, like, I could learn from them. Mm -hmm. Like, I, in the brief interaction we had, it was very clear to me that, like, they had something to offer. And I just think... Most of the teachers we work with in most places, that's probably true, you know? I, I mean, I, I, I'm inclined at least to start with that assumption yeah, and not be proven wrong, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. I agree. I don't know. I, I also, I've been around a ton of teachers because of my family, and, you know, most of them, I think, were pretty good people, mm-hmm. you know? Like, really trying, trying to do a good thing in the world, so... I, I don't worry too much about getting to a school and feeling like, oh my god, all of these people are just like oppressive, <laughs> you know, like evil. You know, I just, I, I think it's more likely to be problems of like institutional culture mm-hmm. and like administrative expectations and things like that that I, that I would expect to have the most friction with. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's a little naive. We'll see. I don't, think, I don't think it's naive. I guess the context I'm coming from is like, if I were placed in my high school, I would be angry every day because all those teachers are still there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, I assume they've grown and, grown and learned over time, yeah. but I'm troubled that they were adults with the worldview they held at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, did not intervene in rampant bullying against queer kids. Many, many suicides. And yeah. it's just like, I'm never going to forgive them for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it's like... I guess... Sorry. Yeah, no, I don't have My anything else to say was, on that. My school did not have that. There were other problems, but like that kind of thing, sort of rampant, obvious bullying or mistreatment of other students was not a part of the culture at my high school. Um, and so, yeah, I may just be... I don't think it's naive, just to be yeah. clear. I'm not saying it is. I'm just like thinking about, yeah. Yeah. Kind of nice. Anyone want the last word? I don't want the last word, though, and I just had it. Kelly, say something. <laughs> Great job, team. See you for podcast Hope number two. Hope everyone enjoys the conversation.
This episode was sponsored by Bogart's Donuts and Kirkland Signature Organic Unsweetened Almond Non-Dairy Beverage Vanilla, 30 calories per serving, USDA Organic.